0: I must, I must confess, as I was doing this, and I was going through the, 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 the words and the vows, and to realize I'm looking at two people that have already done it. Every other wedding I've ever done has been trying to look down the road of their future and asking God's blessing on it, and, and to realize that we're seeing... What God has done already, and we'll witness to something wonderful and marvelous here. And I don't think it's something we should take uh, lightly. We're blessed as a congregation to have them here with us, part of this family of God. It's a testimony to everybody of God's goodness. Amen. Amen. So it was wonderful. Blessed. I'm a blessed man by being here today. Uh, I had to do everything I could not to cry, as I saw my buddy Eric. What a big bear of a man you really are. My goodness, man. I just love to see affection uh, for husbands and wives, but this is something precious by seeing the affection of a husband for his wife. It's, it, it's precious, it really is. Okay, to the Word of God Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> I will naturally speak on marriage today, though so, so much could be said. I will say more in the future. Today will be an introduction to marriage, and we'll add to it as the weeks go on. Uh, But there's a groundwork that needs to be laid when it comes to understanding of marriage. Uh, I'll close with a little application on what that means for today's 21st century as we go to this ancient text to understand God's design for marriage. So please understand something. The Word of God is time-tested and stands under every cultural change nothing changes with the lord amen his word endures forever and we need to feast on it on a daily basis starting in verse 15 chapter 2 i will read the verse 25 <coughs> excuse me the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and to keep it and the lord god commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up and placed it with his flesh. And the rib that God took had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought it to the man, brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were unashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God. I pray that you will open up our eyes and give us faith to enter back into the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were first joined together, and Adam cried out from his heart, Finally, this is flesh of my flesh, and it's bone of my bone. Finally, I will not be alone. Finally, I am whole, Lord. I thank you, Almighty God, that you did not leave me alone in this beautiful garden. I thank you that you gave me a helper, fit and suitable for me, O God. God, I pray that we grasp the magnitude of your word today, God, and that the sacred institution of marriage is high and lifted up in each and everybody's heart, Father God, and that we don't fall prey to the culture around us that does not see this for what it is. It is truly a marriage made in heaven. In Christ's name, amen. Marriage between a man and a woman as the scriptures defined it as a monogamous, heterosexual, lifelong commitment, of fidelity, a mutual honor, and respect according to God's original design, as we see here in the beginning. And it is truly the bedrock of everything that follows in civilization. We cannot miss that. It is the first social institution there is. It is the only one that counts. If civilization misses it on a man and a woman and on the marriage, civilization has missed it, period. We need to understand, especially as Christians, the serious nature of God bringing a man and a woman together for a lifelong commitment of fidelity to one another and the honor and worship of the Lord. It is as important to know and understand as the knowledge that there is truly one God who created all things. If we were a people, a pagan people that believed there were several gods, or maybe many, many gods that collaborated together to create the world, we'd be doomed. If we don't understand marriage, I can equally say we'll be doomed. We need to truly understand this magnificent truth of a man and a woman created in God's image. God's image bearers to come alongside one another as God has ordained and bring glory to God. Marriage, one flesh, is the only thing in creation story, the two two chapters, chapter 1 and 2 is creation story, it's creation history, and this account of Genesis that takes... Two pre-existent things, or takes a pre-existent thing, Adam, and creates something else. Everything else God created out of nothing, but he creates woman out of man. It's important to understand that, but he takes the two and he makes it one. Only God can take the two and make it one flesh. We will interpret marriage today from its original source, and I pray that we all grasp the seriousness of it, the holiness of it, the purity of this, so that we can honor our spouses, we can honor the marriages around us. We might not be married, but we can honor marriages around us by the way we think about it, the way we pray about it, the way we understand it and perceive it. And as from the text we just read, we'll glean as much as we can, at least for today, to open up an introduction into marriage. The account of creation of Eve this is important, the account of creation of Eve and the bonding together into one flesh with Adam comes at the end of the creation account we find ourselves in the middle of a storyline, this is narrative taking place and in this storyline we find out there's a tension resolution that's about to take place, in any good story, any good narrative, there's tension resolution Uh, everything up to this point Jehovah says is not just good but it's it's, it's very good. But now he comes to a conclusion, it's not good for man to be alone. Something's wrong in the garden. As awesome and as great as it is, and it is great, there's something wrong and it's not good for man to be alone. We have conflict. It's the first conflict in a book of 66 books that's filled with conflicts. The whole Bible reads as wonderful literature if you just read it as that. Conflict, resolution, conflict, resolution, conflict, resolution. Until we finally come to a new heaven and a new earth with a new bride and a new Adam and there's no more conflict forever. Amen? Amen. That's redemption. That's redemption. This problem solving is at its divine best. And God, and he's so purposeful in the way he's inspired scripture that he gives us a little, but it says so much. We had to read and see the implications of what God is teaching us. This is an object lesson we're going to read today. It's an object lesson that it's not good for man to be alone, but it, it highlights something. It truly highlights the dignity of the woman. Something that ancient cultures knew nothing of. Please understand, it's the scriptures and the scriptures alone that elevate women to their their highest place. And the dignity created in the image of God. And bring sacredness to marriage. That marriage is not two people just getting together. It's, It's to the honor of God. It's designed by God. It's intuitive in human nature. I will break down the text, starting in verse 15, 16, and 17. I'll speak on some points about this. I won't try to cover everything. But this is what I think is important for us today, and what the Scriptures say. Starting in verse 15, he says this, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden, put him in the garden of Eden, to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in that day you will surely die. It's important to start here in our understanding of marriage and the importance of the woman, and this is important, in biblical function. Biblical function is a term we use to, which describes the roles God has ordained for men and women. It's important to understand that even before we speak about marriage, God has ordained a function for both men and women. There's roles to play for men and women. Both men and women have their roles in God's government and God's economy. They're to honor this and honor one another and respect each other for it. Both roles, and this is important to understand that Christian understands it, are complementary. They complement one another. Each bringing glory to God as both function as the husband and the wife. Very important to understand that. We're going to find out that co-equals, co-respect, uh, uh, co-love, it's, it's, it's all equal. But there is roles that God has ordained that's important for us to know. The text brings that out. You can't get away from it. To speak on 15 to 25 not speak on that and just speak about marriage is to miss a point. Because... In, in ancient Near Eastern culture, women were looked down upon like it's, they still are in many cultures today around the world. So for Moses to get this revelation and bring it to Israel, Israel just coming out of, out, out of Egypt who looked down on women are now in the wilderness and they're going into the promised land and they're going into the promised land knowing that there's one true God who created all things and have a high regard for women. A superior regard for women. How important is this for the Christian church to understand that? Women are special. Adam is only half a man, so to speak, without Eve. How important is this to understand that? We cannot highlight this truth enough. It needs to be pounded down into our hearts and minds to understand so that men, we elevate women in our our understanding of life. That they're cherished, that they're nurtured, protected, and treated solely as equals. And I would say, no, even as higher than us. That's what God is doing here. Man shall not be alone. So we see here that God has created something. And he's given man, he's given Adam a responsibility to keep the garden. He's given Adam. Adam has the responsibility. He's accountable for keeping the garden and cultivating the garden. Eve's not. God has given man this incredible responsibility, which man will be responsible for when he stands before the Lord. This is a high responsibility that Adam has. This is a garden, but it's not any other garden. It's what we call a garden temple. God resides in this garden. And Adam, by keeping the garden, cultivating the garden, and protecting the garden, is Adam's worship to God. He's also the guardian of the law. He protects the law. What's the one law God gave? What's the one prohibition? That you shall not eat. Adam was to protect that. As Moses protected the Ten Commandments, as the New Testament protects the law of love, we would protect that at all costs. That was Adam's job. All seems well to Adam and God at first. But as time goes on, something is truly missing. And God does this purposely. He creates the tension so we can respect and honor the answer. And to respect and honor the answer is to respect and honor what that answer is or who that answer is. It's woman. It's woman. What a high, elevated place the scriptures give to the woman immediately, immediately. From the first day of creation, woman's created with deep dignity. And no superficial place in the relationship, but to be a helper fit for Adam's work. Like I just said, this is all done deliberately by God. To highlight the importance of a woman, of relationship, of marriage, of society. This is all seed form. Genesis means beginning. So when we read Genesis and we we theologize from it and we draw as much information, that's what theology is, We're, we're drawing as much information as we can about God, and about creation, about man, about women, about relationship, about marriage. This is all seed form. And we need to cherish it reflect and contemplate seriously about what it implies for us today Christians have long known, the Jew first, but then the Christian, have long known that the center of the universe was not a mass cloud that exploded, at the center of the universe sometime was a relationship, that's the center of the universe, the beginning of all things with relationship, between who? Father, son, and Holy Spirit. You can't talk about the Godhead without talking about relationship. You can't talk about God without... He's a a social being, affectionate, caring, and loving. It's who God is. It's from that reality that God creates, not out of loneliness. His deep love is to share who He is, and so much so He created man and women in His image. To share in his likeness, to share in fellowship, to to share in relationship and affection, heart to heart, mind to mind, concern with concern. This is at the center of the universe. It's a relationship between a triune God. It shapes everything human. Without a knowledge of this, it shapes everything human. We're guessing, we're grasping, what's it all about? It's, it's, it's the trinity that brings unity out of diversity just like it brings unity to a man and a woman they were the same but yet they're so different I think Adam and Eve look like brother and sister to be honest with you then God said it is not good that man should be alone I will make a help of fit for him in this wonderful, magnificent paradise that God called the very good, he now stops and he says, it's not good. Is God confused? Of course not. He does that for you and me. So we can grasp the mad- magnitude of what it means not to be alone. The triune God knows the value, knows the intrinsic value, the intrinsic need, the value, the wealth of being a social being. And here is man. He has all the power as the co-regent of God. He's, he's ruling the world. He has the power to name any animal spontaneously. He's imbued with power and knowledge and intellect. To call something what it is right away. He doesn't deliberate. He doesn't vacillate. He knows intuitively. As soon as he sees something, he can call it what it is. But yet he's alone don't miss what the Bible is doing, just a few short verses. It's creating attention that God walks in and brings the resolution to it. And we can see it, and we can honor it. It's not good, it means it's, well, it could be better. That's not what the Lord is saying here. What it means, to to paraphrase, it means this is horrible, it's terrible, it's unthinkable, that in my good creation... They won't share in the best of the best. They won't share intimately, one with another, heart to heart, face to face. Adam's alone. He has no one to share himself with. He'll worship me and I'll love him. But he needs someone like him, someone fit for him. The animals won't do. In the midst of the question, it's not good for man to be alone. You would think he would go right to the rib. But he doesn't. He goes to Adam Naming the animals. It's not good. It's horrible. Loneliness cannot be part of God's creation. Even as a pastor, to think that people in the congregation are struggling with loneliness, it, it breaks my heart. It can overwhelm me at times. That any one person on this earth, especially a Christian, especially part of the Christian church, to be lonely It's not in God's economy. He doesn't understand that. It is not good for man to be alone. It's it's an exclamation that flows out of the the trinity and the harmony and the love of God himself. It, It wasn't just an afterthought. It wasn't an oversight. He's like, God forbid man would be lonely in my good creation. To be created in God's image carries with it the understanding of being a social being. Isolation is, is awful. It's awful. A social being, a thinking, rational, communicating, sharing with each other, sharing love, sharing affection, studying one another, nurturing one another, encouraging one another, edifying one another, protecting one another. To love and to be loved. That's part of being human. The answer to this unthinkable dilemma is a woman, is Eve. The first characteristic of Eve is that of a helper. If we don't know scripture, that could have a negative connotation to it. But let me tell you something about a helper. She was 19 times in the Old Testament. 16 times to God. Don't miss that. 16 times God is called a helper. And here we are. He's attributed to it the first time to Eve. This is no slave that carries tools for Adam when he's going around to garden bringing out his lunch, though she might have done that. This is much deeper, the helper is much deeper, and it's something we need to grasp. This is is where it goes to show the essential contribution, the necessary, foundational, essential contribution that only Eve could give so that Adam could fulfill his vocation, and his role as the man of the earth. Adam would fail if he does not have Eve with him. He fails. Not just alone, but a helper. God didn't create a buddy. God didn't create just someone to talk to at the end of the day, but a helper to come alongside And to sustain Adam in his role that God had given him with a high responsibility, a high accountability, to keep the garden. You would think, ah, keep the garden, a little pruning here and a little pruning here. But you have to understand about the word keep and cultivate. It's only used one other time. It's used of the Levitical priesthood in the temple. It's talking about worship. This is not about taking the bugs and getting them out and spraying a little of this and and a little of that. This is about proper worship of God. For him to be a proper worshiper of God, he needed a helper. Fit for him. And Eve is the answer. She's ordained by God for the work of caring for her husband's needs. And one of those needs is he's a social being. And this is done in the mutual giving of themselves. Remember, physical, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual sharing. It's the whole person sharing everything about themselves. It's not about a mental ascent. It's not about a handshake. Hi, hon. How was your day? This is about genuinely caring for the person. This is about really listening. This is about emotional protection. It's about spiritual protection. It's about spiritual protection. This isn't all there. It is, you cannot get closer than a relationship. No, let me say there's only one thing closer than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that should be husband and it should be wife. Period. Period. Eve is the backbone to Adam's earthly existence. Otherwise, she's lonely, unthinkable in God's kingdom. She was divinely fit for this relational occupation for Adam. A relationship of work and worship of God are all united here. This is not about Adam going off to work. This is about Adam and Eve together, working together, keeping the garden together, and worshiping God together in a social context where they share each other's hopes and dreams and concerns and love and their affections. They're doing this. in their rela- It's worship to God. When a husband and wife love and care and are concerned for each other, that is worship of Jehovah. When it comes to marriage, you can read all the literature in the world and you won't get better than what the Bible says in two sentences. Please let me tell you right now. And I love those silly little love songs from the 70s. I confess. But when you read the scriptures, nothing can move you like the scriptures can to loving one another. There's no separation between relationship, work, and worship. You know why? It was never meant to be. He goes on in verse 19 and 20. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to the livestock, to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But to Adam, there was, no found, there was not found a helper fit for him. These verses go again to highlight the Eve creation and to show us that nothing can replace the relationship between a man and a woman. The animal kingdom cannot do it. Even power that Adam had, even his intellect, his ability that he had from God cannot replace what he needed. And that was not to be alone. The tension continues for Adam. If the name, who knows how how long it took, but he's recognizing that there's something still missing. In the exercise of his authority over the creator world, nothing was sufficient to come alongside him and sustain him in his work, in his worship, in his humanity. With the need to love and to care and to be loved and to be cared, that's part of humanity. It's not just about loving and caring. It's about reciprocating and, and receiving love and receiving caring. But nothing could be done. All created, everything in creation could not be used to give Adam what he needed. It was impossible for Adam or creation, but it's not impossible for God. So God goes into phase two. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Unlike the animal world that was created out of the dust of the ground, just like Adam was, the woman wasn't created from the dust, she was created from Adam. And please don't miss the point here. It just goes to show the, the unique solidarity that Adam and Eve had. It's, it's, she's not just another animal to be named. When he says she's the flesh of the flesh, the flesh of my flesh and bone of my own, he, he he exclaims, he, he, he cries out in a in a spontaneous cry from the heart. She's mine, she's like me. I, I, I'm alive, I feel alive. That's what he was saying what he said not just an equal not just a co-worker more than a co-worker not just a sidekick that came from his rib but it's a picture of deep harmony and intimacy that he knew spontaneously this is the one that God has brought to me he brought me all the animals I named them all still something missing now God gave me the gift of Eve And that's the way he saw her. He saw her on that day in that garden. He worshipped God. He named the animals. He was the co-regent. He was the owner of the world. But when he saw Eve, he exclaimed, flesh of my flesh, God, thank you from the bottom of my heart for the gift of the woman you've given me. though this is historical, I'll just call it a fitting metaphor of the close relationship between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. It's brilliance. Just this poetic statement of Adam that came out of the overflow of his heart. Finally. I've anticipated I was waiting for one time something, God to bring something before me, and I would name it, and my heart would leap. And here it is, it's leaping. It didn't leap with the horses, it didn't leap with the birds, it didn't leap with the it leaped with woman, it leaped with Eve, my heart leaped, and I cried out, finally, flesh of my flesh and bone I'm not alone. I know what it is to love and be loved. It's brilliant. It takes a lifetime of reflection and experience to begin to capture the elegance of what we just read. She's a gift. He expresses it in verse 23, as I just said. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out from my side. She was taken from me. How awesome is God to think of my greatest need. He met my greatest need in woman, in Eve. Absence does make the heart grow fonder. There was a season that God deliberately allowed Adam to be alone. I can go into an hour of application for 21st century people, for 21st century Christians now, who like to fast forward and get on a fast track, get husband, get wives, and they don't know how to sit back and, and just wait on oh, the Lord. That will have to wait. These are the only words attributed to Adamant in chapter 2. This great shout. This ejaculation of praise, of gratitude for the woman. This gift from God. What was attention in verse 15 is finally a resolution in 23. At last, the wait is worth it. The wait is over. To know that it is good for man not to be alone. He understands it. He, for, there was a season he felt the sting of loneliness. There was a season he felt the, the, the confusion of being Alone. The sadness maybe we can even say of being alone, but expectation turns into appreciation for everything that God has done. The social being has given him a social partner. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The miracle will become one. God's create, creative, uh, uh, his creative wisdom is not over now. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He created the animal world out of the dust of the field. He created Adam out of the dust and he breathed into him the breath of life. He took, he took Eve from Adam and, and he fashioned a woman. But now he makes a marriage. We look at marriage as just another thing. But not to the Lord. This is Harmony. In unity, at its best, out of diversity, a man and a woman becoming one flesh. One. In heart, in thought, in passion, in desire, in purpose, in goal, to love God from the bottom of their hearts, and to love and mutually respect one another in the eyes of God. This is incredible. We could say that this is the end of God's creating when he created Eve and the institution of marriage. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. These verses just go to highlight the the, the one flesh dynamic of how important it is that the spiritual and emotional, intellectual, physical support that comes from a family. And this is a son and a daughter would receive protection from a mother and a father. They would receive the spiritual protection, the emotional encouragement, intellectual and, and, and physical protection. They would receive that from a mother and a father. But we see Moses' commentary on it, that now they leave and they become one flesh. And now the devotion is not to a parental mode, but to a marital mode. It's a marital bond now that it supersedes even the parental bond. As incredible as the parental bond is between parents and their children. It's nothing compared to a man and a woman becoming one flesh. They give themselves one to another what a daughter would receive from mother and father. What a son would have receive from mother and father. And what he gave back to mother and father. Now they give to each other as a token and a pledge of their constant love and abiding faith to one another. What they used to give from mommy, they used to give to daddy, they now give to one another. What they used to receive from mommy, what they used to receive from daddy, they now receive to each other. They're becoming one. They're not depending on anything else. The marital bond supersedes the parental bond. We live in a culture that has no idea of the boundaries parents need to have with their children. Listen to Bruce Walkie, Old Testament scholar, on this text. He says this, the inspired explanation that Moses just gave us in verse 24, the inspired explanation aims to correct cultures that give priority priority to parental bonds over marital bonds something all to consider how important it is again i can spend an hour speaking on this but i'll move on we could add in today's culture the attempt to make marriage something that it's not one flesh means what god has joined together let no man separate it's a miracle of grace a miracle of grace Marriage in a real sense is the last thing God created as I said. It brings creation to its finish. Never again will Adam be Adam Will Eve be Eve, it will always be Adam and Eve. And basically that's how the scriptures refer to Adam and Eve. Really it's just just Eve or it's just Adam. It usually pertains to Adam and Eve. Let me close with a couple of thoughts here. This frightens me, to be honest with you. I'll tell you why it's frightened me. I'm a sinner, like my wife is. I live in a fallen world like everybody else does. We have the ideal that God gives us, and we need to understand that. But the Bible gives us something even greater, and that's our marriage to Christ, where we draw our strength, we draw our graces, we draw our forgiveness, we draw our mercies, we draw our understandings. I'll be speaking on that in the future. I just allow the ideal to speak for itself so that we know as a people what marriage is supposed to be. Then we have to go through the understanding of the gospel to understand that we need to be merciful to each other, forgiven to each other, understanding to each other, that we're both people in God's kingdom now, but we're fallen. Do you see the wonderful, magnificent picture of marriage? Did you see it today? Adam and Eve failed. They tasted it. Then they failed. And then they had to learn to live by grace, like every other marriage does. We have to learn to live by grace. We have to learn to be married under grace. Grace has to rule marriage. Otherwise, we will bite and devour one another. We need to be gracious. I'll be speaking more about that in the future. I'll be speaking about what it means to be single. I will be speaking about these things that concern us in our 21st century. Amen.